Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. We're going to continue, though, in our series in the Gospel of Mark. We've been journeying, I think, for almost over two years or so. Next Sunday is going to be our final sermon uh, in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to finally finish the Gospel. But we've just kind of been going section by section. And today we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 15, verses 33 uh, through 47. So if you have your Bibles, I really encourage you to go there today. Mark chapter 15, verse 33. And we're going to be looking through 47, verse 47. Jesus so far has been abandoned by all of his disciples Peter has denied him. Jesus has been tried uh, in court before the Jewish leaders and before the Roman leaders as well. He has been beaten. He's been mocked. I mean, he's been disrespected, insulted. He's he's been lashed, and now he hangs on the cross. And today, we're going to be looking at the death and burial of Jesus in our passage today. But before we do that, and again, uh, what I've been doing the last couple of weeks is normally I read the entire passage in the beginning and then I come back to it. But because of the length of the passage, we're just going to work our way through it um, there. But before I do that, let's pray and let's, let's ask God to bless our time together today. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can gather here today as believers to worship you with song and with word. God, I believe that this message is we've simply just been traveling through the Gospel of Mark. It's so interesting how you line up every single message at the right time. And God, I believe this is a timely message for your people today. God, I pray that you would open our hearts today, open our minds, to what you have to speak to us today. We love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. As we've been going through the gospel of Mark, uh, one of the, you know, uh, persons in in the gospel of Mark that I've really been drawn to and just really very interesting is the apostle Peter. The apostle Peter is a very interesting guy. And and if you kind of, I'll just give you some of the things that, uh, that he has done through the gospel of Mark. But Man, in the Gospel of Mark, Peter just seems like a big, big failure. That's what he seems like. And, and I can relate to Peter in a lot of ways. Let me just give you some examples. Uh, Peter at one point tried to stop Jesus uh, from going to the cross. And what does Jesus tell him? You remember that? Get behind me, Satan. That's what he tells Peter. Get behind me, Satan. And Peter failed miserably there when Jesus asked Peter to pray and to watch in the garden of Gethsemane, what does Peter do? He falls asleep. He just crashes out. He failed again uh, when Jesus, or when Peter told Jesus that he would never deny him, what does Peter do? He denies him three times. And Peter just failed over and over and over again in the gospel of Mark. But then something happens when you look at the book of Acts. The book that's right after the Gospels, it's a different type of person. Peter's a different type of person. Let me give you some examples. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches the Gospel to hundreds and thousands of people. 
to, to Jewish people. And he calls them and he, and he calls them out and he says, you guys were the ones that crucified Jesus. And he calls them to repentance. And that day as he preached the gospel boldly, 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus that day. The boldness and courage that it took for Peter to do that. In Acts chapter 3 and 4, he heals a lame beggar. And he's with, John, Peter, he's with John, Peter and John, after healing the lame beggar, they go and preach the gospel. They continue to preach the good news of Jesus. They get arrested. They get tried before the council. And the council's like, hey, you can't keep preaching about this Jesus guy. You can't do that. We forbid you, for, for stop, uh, we forbid you from preaching about Jesus. And this is the way Peter responds. Look at his boldness. He says, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard, a.k.a. we're not going to listen to you. We're going to continue boldly preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, Peter and the other apostles, they get thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. They're locked up, and in the middle of the night, supernaturally, an angel decides to open the door and let them free. And what do they do? They continue to preach the gospel. And so they're brought back again to the religious leaders. And the religious leaders is like, hey guys, you can't, you can't preach the gospel anymore. You can't preach the gospel. And they actually beat the apostles. They beat them physically. And then they let them go after they beat them. But this is how Peter responds. He says, we must obey God rather than men. And look what happens. They continued preaching, and it says this. They left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. They're like, I actually count it worthy that you beat me. I count it worthy that you persecute me. And they went on every single day preaching boldly, courageously, the message of the gospel. When I think about Christianity today, I often think about where has the courage gone? Where has the courage gone? Where are the courageous professing Christians. Where are they? And not only where has the courage gone, courage like Peter and the apostles, but why? Why has it left our churches? Why are people these days who profess Christ not as courageous as what we see in the scriptures? And a lot of reasons. There's so... There's so many reasons, and here's the thing, church, as I was thinking about this, I really believe that believers, Christians, should be the most courageous people on the planet because of who our God is. We should be the most courageous people, but yet many times as believers, instead of letting our light shine, we live in the shadows. We live in the shadows. We live in that dark place, not shining our light. Again, so many reasons. Fear, right? Fear is a big one. If I live out my faith, man, what kind of repercussions am I going to have? What are people going to say? 
the cultural pressure these days to live out your faith, right? I mean, if you haven't felt that cultural pressure, I don't know where you've been living at. But there's pressure. And a lot of us choose, instead of facing that pressure head on, we live in the shadows. It could be a lack of knowledge. I don't want to live out my faith because I don't know the scriptures. I don't have a Bible degree. I'm not a pastor. I didn't go to seminary. I'm not a theologian. And so we live our life in the shadows. Our reputation. If I really live for Christ, what's going to happen to my reputation? Maybe it's disassociation. If I live for Christ, I'm going to lose friends. I'm going to lose family. I'm going to lose coworkers. Maybe it's a lack of understanding. Or maybe the reason why we live in the shadows is because the good news of the gospel hasn't really gripped our heart. Because when the good news of the gospel really grips your heart, you will not live in the shadows. Or maybe it's, hey, my career's on the line. I'm, I'm not going to ruffle any feathers. They're asking me to, my job's asking me to do certain things that are against my faith, but I got to pay the bills. And we live our life in the shadows. Church, maybe, may, let me remind you today that comfort never changes the world. Courage does. It's courage that changes the world. Comfort never changes the world. And here's my hope this morning. My hope for you and for us is that we would leave today a little more courageous than when we came in, because truthfully, we need courage. We really do. And that is my only hope and my only goal. As we work our way through this passage, may the Holy Spirit just work powerfully in your heart to give you that courage to, to stand up for Jesus, to stand up for true biblical Christianity. Are you guys with me today? That's the goal of today. All right, if you have your Bibles, verse 33, Let's jump in. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sibachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mark tells us it was the sixth hour, so it was noon. It was the brightest part of the day. I mean, it was kind of like right now, it's bright. It's the brightest part of the day. But then he also says that darkness came over the whole land in the ninth hour. The ninth hour is 3 p.m. So for three hours, for three hours, there was darkness over that land. I mean, pitch black darkness. On the brightest part of the day, it was pitch black. Now think about if that would happen to us right now. Like if the lights went off and it was completely dark, you're probably thinking, that is not a lunar eclipse. Something supernaturally is going on if it became pitch black. And that's what was happening here for three hours. The land, the entire land went dark, pitch black, as Jesus hung there on the cross. Now, we need to understand that darkness in the scriptures represents divine judgment. That's what darkness represents, divine judgment. Let me give you an example from the Old Testament. 
For example, the ninth plague God sent to Pharaoh when rescuing the Israelites from Egypt says this, Exodus 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. Think about that. A darkness you can feel. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another. They couldn't even see each other. Nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Isn't that interesting? There was darkness on Egypt, but Israel had light. I mean, that's just something supernatural there. And so darkness here represents judgment. And what did we see in Mark chapter 13? That Jesus was going to bring judgment on the religious leaders by what? Destroying the temple. Do you remember when Jesus cursed the fig tree and cleansed the temple? That was a sign of judgment to the Jewish religious system. So Jesus is bringing judgment on people. And Mark tells us that at the very end of that ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the fulfillment of Psalms 21, 22.1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Isn't that interesting? How all the Old Testament points to Christ and all the Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled in Christ. I just think that's something beautiful. But what's interesting here is that Mark never records any other words of Jesus besides these, besides him suffering and calling out to the Father. There's no call for forgiveness to each other, as in Luke, no, no concern to, uh, or expressed to his mother, as in John, no offer of salvation to the repentant criminal in Luke, no final words of assurance at all, like in Luke, and no triumph act of it is finished, like in John. What Mark wants to do here for us is by only focusing on those words is saying, man, I want you to see the suffering that Jesus took upon himself for all of humanity. He doesn't record any other words but those. And there's a point to that. Mark wants us to see the suffering servant Jesus Christ. Now, the best explanation of why Jesus is saying that the Father has forsaken him is because Jesus is about to experience something that he's never experienced before. From all eternity past, Jesus has been united with the Father. And now as Jesus hangs on the cross, the Father turns his back on the Son. And so Jesus has never experienced separation from the Father, ever, from eternity. And not only has the Father turned his back on the Son, He's all, Jesus is also bearing the full wrath of God upon himself on the cross. He's bearing the cup of judgment of our sin, the wrath that we were supposed to take on. He has bared it upon himself for us. And so that's why he's yelling, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Bearing the wrath of the Father on our behalf. Verse 35, let's keep reading. And some of the bystanders heard it and said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine. 
put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come back to take him down. So some people around there, possibly some Roman soldiers said, hey, uh, you know, he's calling Elijah. But the reality is, is that Elijah has already come. You see, because in the, the, the final two verses of the Old Testament in Malachi, there is a promise that Elijah was to come before the day of the Lord. But Jesus clarifies that, that Elijah already came through John the Baptist. John the Baptist came through the power and spirit of Elijah. So that's what's going on there. But then what happens is these Roman soldiers, they get a sponge with sour wine and try to give Jesus to drink. Now that might sound very compassionate, right? When we read it, oh, they're being really nice. They put sour wine on the sponge and they're trying to give Jesus some to drink. That's really nice of these Roman soldiers, especially after they mocked him. But what they're truly doing here is mocking Jesus because sour wine would help with uh, alleviate the pain. That's what it would do. It would numb the pain. So they were trying to keep Jesus alive as long as possible. And they were essentially saying, hey, let's keep him alive as long as possible. And let's see if Elijah's gonna come and rescue him. So even there, he's being mocked by the religious leaders. He's being mocked, I'm sorry, by the, by the Roman soldiers. He's being mocked, he's being forsaken by the Father bearing the wrath. Again, fulfillment of Psalm 69, 21. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. When you read the Psalms in the Old Testament, read it, I encourage you to read it with a lens of how you can see Jesus throughout the Old Testament. It's just a beautiful thing. Verse 37. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain of the temple was torn. There was a curtain in the temple that separated the holy place from the most holy place or the holy of holies. And the temple symbolized the presence of God in the midst of his people. And so there was a curtain there separating it. And so when Jesus died, he, he tore that curtain down to give us access, direct access to God. You see, because back then, the people had access through a priest. The high priest would go to the temple once a year, sacrifice an animal, and atone for the sins of the people once a year. He was able to go to the Holy of Holies. And people were forgiven and everything was good. It, it was a way to relate, for, uh, for, it was a way to uh, have people relate to God. But when Jesus died, that curtain, that separation was torn. And so now as New Testament believers, we don't need a high priest or a sacrifice. We don't need the blood of an animal to get right with God because we have the blood of Jesus that gives us direct access to God. Does that make sense? And so the curtain was torn. No more temple, no more priests, no more sacrifice. The old entire sacrificial system just went obsolete like that. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 20 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, right, the most holy place, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Man, we have access to God because of what Jesus did on the cross. 
through his blood. I want to kind of nerd out for a second, just give you a quick little tip or a little thought here. Mark tells us that the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The last time this word happened, this word torn, the same word, the last time it's used, it's used at the, at the baptism of Jesus, when the heavens were torn apart. And what does the Father say? This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's when the, the first time that, that word was used at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. That word is now being used at the end of the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to see in just a second that the centurion now claims this, truly Jesus is the Son of God. And the end caps, the book end, the whole purpose of the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus is the true Son of God. That was free. I'm not even going to charge you for that. Verse 39, we see our first sign of courage. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. A centurion was a Roman soldier who, uh, who, who oversaw about a hundred other men. In this case, he was in charge of the execution squad. So he was in charge. And at some point, some point, something happens in this centurion's heart. Because just a few hours ago, he was mocking Jesus. There was darkness, and then now he hears Jesus cry out. And for whatever reason, something changes in him. And he cries out, he is the son of God. Something in him changed. Scholars and theologians try to debate what happened. I mean, we really don't know like why the centurion gave his life to Jesus. It could have been the unnatural darkness, right? Like the power of the darkness that just caused something in him. Some scholars and theologians believe it was the fact that Jesus actually died very soon. Jesus died within six hours. That was very unusual. Uh, people would die between one and two days. So the fact that Jesus died in six hours could have caused the Roman centurion to think, man, there's something special about this guy. Because here's the thing, when people were about to die, it was also very unusual to let out a loud scream. You're about to die. You don't have uh, the power, the strength to let out a loud scream, but Jesus did. And you know what Jesus says in, in the other gospels? He says in John 19:30, he says, I gave up my spirit, that Jesus gave up his spirit. And John 10 says, no one takes my life, but I give it up. They didn't kill Jesus. Jesus gave up his own life. He was in control even to the very last breath. And when he said it was done, it was done. And so maybe the centurion was like, that's interesting. Six hours. Just gave up his life like that. Now here's the thing about the centurion. The same, the same passage in the Gospel of Luke gives us more insight. Luke twenty two forty seven says this. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, look what he did. He praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. Think about that. 
You're the Roman soldier that's gonna, that just crucified Christ, you and your men. And now you're praising God. You're worshiping God, and it's not just the centurion. Check this out. In, in Matthew uh, 20, 27, 54, it actually tells us that it was his men as well. Think about that. So now it's not just him. It's his crew worshiping Jesus, the man they just killed, the rebel, the insurrectionist, the one that who, who claimed and was, uh, who, who, who was accused of going to overthrow Rome. Think about that for a second. Now they're worshiping him? What does that mean for his life? What does that mean for the life of his squad? That they are worshiping the guy who was accused of overthrowing Rome. That's a courage. I often wonder what happened to these guys. I often wonder what happened to the centurion. Did he lose his job? Did he lose his friendships? Did he lose his life, him and his men, for praising Jesus when he wasn't supposed to? What's interesting is that we're now, when we, the scripture now gives us a contrast in verse 40. It says this, there were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and, the, and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and Joseph and Salome. When he, when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with, came up with him to Jerusalem. So we're contrasted now with women following Jesus at a distance. While these Roman soldiers are praising Jesus and worshiping him. It took a lot of courage for him to do that. But you see, here's the thing. Although the, although the women are painted in a, in a bad light here, I want to point out that these women were the backbone of Jesus' ministry. I'm not sure if you knew that. That women were the backbone of Jesus' ministry. They supported Jesus and his disciples with food and clothing. They ministered to the people that came to Jesus. In Luke chapter 8, verse 3, it says that the women would, would support Jesus out of their own means. They would flip the bill for Jesus' ministry. They were an important part of his ministry. But even Jesus' most devoted followers have their weak moments. They were devoted to Jesus. In fact, they actually started at the foot of the cross when Jesus was getting crucified, but slowly but surely, they begin to follow him at a distance. Isn't that true for many of us? That when we first start to follow Jesus, we follow him at the foot of the cross. We cling to the cross. But slowly but surely, over time, we follow him at a distance. We drift away from him. And that's what's happening here. Verse 42, another example of courage. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council of the group that killed Jesus, 
who was also himself looking for the kingdom, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Joseph, a respected man of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court that just crucified Jesus, goes to Pilate and asks for the body of Jesus. Now we know a little bit about Joseph because of John, that he too was following Jesus in the shadows. John 19 verse 38 says this, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but what? But secretly for the fear of the Jews. He was following Jesus in the shadows, in the closet, where it's safe, in the comfort zone. But something happened where he took courage to step out of the shadows into the light and live for Jesus. Luke 23, 50 gives us even more insight. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action to crucify Jesus. Maybe he didn't show up at the meeting. Maybe he abstained from voting. But either way, he lived in the shadows. The scriptures tell us in John, that, jo- that Joseph is not alone. He's with another man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was also part of the Sanhedrin. It says this, that Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, comes to Jesus at night, literally in the shadows, because he didn't want to be found out by the religious leaders. He was curious about Jesus. They had a conversation, and Jesus says, hey, if you want to follow me, you must be born again. And we don't hear from him after a while. But now we see Nicodemus no longer in the shadows. We, we see here Joseph no longer uh, being worried about who's going to see him with Jesus. Mark tells us that Joseph took courage. The word courage there in the original language can actually be translated to dare. That's what it, to dare. He dared to go to Pilate to ask for Jesus' body. He dared. You remember when you were little and someone would dare you to do something, right? How many of you guys would do it? Like, how many of you guys were that kid that said, I will do it no matter what you did? All right, a couple of you crazies like me. I'm like that. And if someone double dog dare you, you know you're going to do it, right? You know, you know you're going to do that, right? Hey, I dare you to eat that bug, you know, okay, you eat it or whatever. At least that's what I would do. I'll do, I'll do whatever, right? Like, I just want to, if you dared me, I was going to do it. But as kids, we wouldn't even think about it. We gave in to the dare, to the double dare, to the triple dog dare. Believer, I double dare you to begin to live for Jesus. I dare you. I dare you to get out of your comfort zone. I double dog, triple stamp, double stamp. You can't triple stamp, but double stamp. If you seem dumb and dumber, you know what I'm talking about. I dare you to live outside of the shadows, to step outside of your comfort zone, to attempt something for Christ. I dare you to take courage 
to have boldness to be different, not like cultural Christianity these days. I dare you. You see, because yes, it's a risk. Every time we dare to do something for Jesus, it's a risk. But the greater the risk, the greater the blessing. Step out every single time with courage. What happened to Joseph? What happened to Nicodemus? What happened to their reputation? What happened to their families? What happened to their friendship? What happened? What happened? Honestly, I know we don't have a lot of info, but I'm pretty sure they lost everything. Verse 44 gives us even greater insight, something I've never seen before, and it was right in front of my face. It says this, Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he had learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph, and Joseph bought a linen shroud. This is what I, this is what I failed to see. Listen, and taking him down. Have you ever thought about that? That phrase right there, and taking him down, has been on my heart and in my mind the entire week. Romans would crucify people on the busiest of highways. Now you have Joseph and Nick at night going over to get Jesus from the cross. And they had to take him down. Picture that. Two former top-notch religious leaders, as people were passing by, they're helping each other up, taking Jesus' dead body off the cross. As the Romans, the, the Roman soldiers looked upon them, as the Jewish leaders in the crowd looked upon them, they were taking down the body of Christ. The courage the boldness that that took. And so they go, and not only do they take him down, they take Jesus, they carry Jesus' body to a tomb. As people saw them, they led him in the tomb, and Jesus preached to thousands. Jesus healed thousands but only two showed up at his funeral. Only two. Only two. The centurion chose courage over comfort. Joseph chose courage over comfort. Nicodemus chose courage over comfort. Listen in. Will you Today, choose courage over comfort. I'm asking you a question. Will you decide today to choose courage over comfort? Because the church, the body of Christ, cannot make an impact in the world unless we step out of the comfort zone and live courageously for the sake of the gospel and for the glory of God. Where does this courage come from? This courage comes from Jesus. 
Remember when I told you that in Acts chapter 4, Peter and, and John, and, and they're preaching the gospel boldly? Look what it says here in Acts chapter 4, 13. Now when they saw the boldness, the courage of Peter and John, and perceived that they were what? Uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Why? And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Leave that verse up. Leave that verse up. They were uneducated. They had no formal training. They didn't have a, a, a degree. They, they didn't really know much. They were common men. But where did that boldness and courage come from? From them being with Jesus. Our courage, church, comes from Christ. Our courage comes from being on our knees, praying to God, having a relationship with him, opening his word. Our courage is a reflection of our time spent with Christ. That is where our courage comes from, comes from. Our courage comes from the cross and what he did on our behalf. And what does it look like? Man, you could be courageous in so many ways these days. And again, we need courage. And these are just a few examples, but courage looks like sharing the gospel, the full gospel, with a family member, a friend, a loved one, someone who doesn't know Jesus. Courage looks like loving your enemies and those who hurt you. It takes courage to love the people that have hurt you. It takes courage to treat someone with gentleness and compassion because it's so much easier to treat someone harshly. It takes courage to turn down a business deal when asked, some, asked to do something unethical. It takes courage to find a different career path when they're asking you to do something against your Christian beliefs. It takes courage. And courage must be done in both private and in public. But church, we gotta be courageous, obeying God regardless of the potential consequences. Listen in, lean in, this is important, lean in. Let me remind you today, when we take a stand for Christ, we will take a stand against culture. Let me repeat that again. When we take a stand against Christ, we will take a stand against culture. Courage for Christ means conflict with the world. Let me remind, it's always been that way. And it's like that today. Like I said earlier, we need believers who are gonna be courageous in this culture. I don't need to tell you what's going on in our culture, you already know. The core, we're believers in churches and pastors are, are facing right now this cultural pressure as culture tries to redefine biblical sexuality. As culture tries to redefine biblical manhood and womanhood as culture tries to redefine marriage, and as culture begins and has disregarded the value of human life. 
That is what we are facing. And I've seen too many professing Christians compromise biblical truth to cater to the culture. Too many. I've seen too many professing Christians turn their back on God and bow the knee to culture. Too many. And you see, it's interesting because culture always says, if you're not with us, then you hate us. That is so unbiblical because Jesus says to love your enemies. Believer, let me remind you today that it is possible to love those far from God without compromising the word of God. It's possible. It's possible to love the people that we don't agree with without compromising the scriptures. Not only have I seen professing Christians compromise their faith, but I've seen many Christians silenced, afraid to speak out. Too many believers living in the shadows. I've seen many Christians question their faith or doubt what they believe. Man, cultures, what I believe about the scriptures, is this even true? Can I really trust it? Am I wrong? And that's just the beginning of like going south, man. Church, I was once told, Tony, if you're gonna plant a church, don't talk about sex. Don't talk about politics. Don't talk about, any, don't talk about money. Don't talk about any of that stuff if you wanna grow your church. That is so sinful. It just is. Because we talk about what the scripture talks about. If the scripture talks about it, we talk about it. We preach the full counsel of God. And so church, I really wanna be clear of where we stand as a church and as your pastor. And I hope and I pray that if you are struggling with some of this, doubting your faith, am I right? I'm I'm about to give in, may just be of encouragement to you. You People, and maybe some of you might call me a hater, bigot, but what matters that I stand before God one day and he calls me faithful. That's what matters to me. And so I want to make it very, very clear where we stand. First, we kneel under the word of God. We don't stand on top of it. Scripture is our final authority. We don't get to create the God we like and that we want that fits our own desires and beliefs. It is the word of God that is authoritative in this church and in our life as true biblical believers. More specifically in regards to cultural issues, we believe here that according to, and notice I will quote scripture in context, we believe that according to Genesis chapter one, verse 28, God created two sexes. He created male and female. That's it. That's it. 
We believe that according to verses like Genesis chapter 2, verse 23 and 24, Ephesians 5, 22 through 27, Matthew 19, 4 through 6, we believe that marriage is between one man and one woman. That is the only romantic mar uh, marriage relationship that is honoring to God. That is it. We believe that according to Exodus 21 and Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, Psalms 139, that abortion is the taking of a life, and it is contrary to the word of God. There is no option. There is no gray area. This is black and white. It is. Why? Because truth is not rooted in our opinion. Truth is rooted in the character of God. And believer, let me remind you today that truth does not change with culture, but truth changes culture. When believers begin to live out their faith, live out the true message of the gospel, preach the gospel truthfully, that's what changes culture. But truth never changes with culture, no matter what they say. May I remind you as well, especially with what happened this week and the announcements this week, that courage is not typing a few words behind a keyboard. That ain't courage. Anybody could do that. That's keyboard courage. It's not biblical courage. Evangelicals have been praying and praying and laboring for this to happen for years. And it's finally here. And it is time to step up and be the church and be the hands and feet of Jesus for those moms and for those babies. We can't just talk the talk. We have to do something about it. I believe this is the opportunity. We have an amazing opportunity and privilege to show the world what we are about. There's so much work to be done. It's time to be the church. Courage in regards to this is now supporting and serving the local pregnancy centers. Courage is giving up of our time and our money to support moms and children. Courage is about even considering opening our homes and our hearts to foster or adopt somebody. It's courage, and it's gonna cost us, but there's no option. We asked for it, God gave it to us, what are we gonna do? Yes, we believe and proclaim those things I mentioned, and I drew a line in the sand, and I'm perfectly okay with it. But that's not the only thing we also believe and proclaim. We also believe that according to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive. We preach forgiveness. We preach forgiveness because Jesus hung on a cross, forsaken by the Father, 
bore the wrath of God to give us and offer any sin and any person, no matter what they've done, forgiveness. We also preach and believe Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that there is now, today, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're forgiven. Mom, if you've ever had an abortion and you struggled with it, we also believe that there's no condemnation. There is no guilt and no shame. You are truly and genuinely forgiven. We preach that as well. We preach Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus says, come to all, come all, come all who labor and are hurt, heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus said all, the mom who's aborted a baby, the person struggling with their sexual identity, all, we believe and we preach the free offer of the gospel to all people to come and find forgiveness and life and peace in Christ. You see, we must pre preach truth, but we have to teach truth, offer grace, all wrapped in love. That's our approach. Truth with grace, wrapped in love. Some of you are like, hey, Johnny, this is good. I'm, I'm with you right now. But man, when I go out there, are you sure this is worth it? Are you sure it's worth living for Jesus? Let me give you the promise of persecution. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for doing the right thing. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecution is an opportunity to see if you and I are truly fit for the kingdom. Let me say that again. Persecution is an opportunity to see if you and I are truly fit for the kingdom of God. So be courageous, be different. Why? Because courage is contagious. Courage is infectious. Be courageous. I love what Billy Graham says. He says, when a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are stiffened. Woo! When one brave person takes a stand, the spines of others are stiff. Courage is infectious. Courage is contagious. And let me leave you with this last story. There was a Roman empress in the fifth century. And she was very threatened and jealous by an early church father named John Christosom. And she wanted to get rid of him. She wanted to get rid of him. She wanted to banish him and persecute him. Let me share some of that conversation. This is so encouraging to me. This is what he told her. He says, you can't banish me for this world is my father's house. 
she says, but I will kill you, she says. And he tells her, no, you cannot, for my life is hidden with Christ in God. Then she says, I will take away your treasures. He responds, no, you cannot, for my treasure is in heaven and my heart is there too. She says, but I will drive you away from your friends and you will have no one left. And he says this, no, you cannot. For I have a friend in heaven from who you cannot separate me. I defy you for there's nothing that you can do to me that would harm me. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for your word. And I just pray today that your people would leave courageous, ready to live out their faith no matter the cost, no matter the consequence, to live for you, to be like Peter and the apostles, that we would rather obey God and not men. Fill us with courage, not from our own strength, but from yours. We can do nothing apart from you, Jesus. And God, I pray today that believers would step out of that shadow and live for you in obedience, in holiness, because this world matters. We love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.